Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast episode 12. Today, we'll have a little chat about Carrigan and the future of FaZe. But the shank of this episode is going to be the semis and the finals of Epicenter 2017. Let's get started. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky peeky like? Okay, to start off with, uh, let's have a little tip. So I've had a few requests for some gameplay tips and tricks for those regular players out there. And uh, I heard a little, a good one the other day on the ECS stream, and it was Launders. He was talking with DDK and Bardolf, and they're discussing the final round between CLG and Cloud9, where CLG basically lost their heads at the 30-second mark on the final round of Inferno. And uh, Launders was talking about this guy, James IRL, I think that's some Twitcher or streamer, who was talking about what he learned from playing under Fallen on uh, Rank S. And one of the things Fallen did when he was leading this team of, you know, people who hadn't really worked together before was say, hey, let's go A at 40 seconds or by the 40 second mark, right? So that everyone before that time can spread out, do whatever they want, get, you know, go default, get picks. But the agreement is that the team will eventually go A. So this is a, a little tactic you can use if you're a regular pugger um, or you fancy yourself as a bit of a, an IGL or like me, you, you're 10 years older than most people in the server and sometimes just take the lead by default. If you've got a bunch of strangers in your team or people who basically are not even interested in being that coordinated, uh, try this. Just say at the 40-second mark, we'll all go A. Or the 40-second mark, we'll all go B. In the meantime, do whatever you like. And what I think uh, it seems to do is just give everybody a bit of structure. I suspect as well this allows people who are not interested in being led, say, by a relative stranger, to actually kind of accept a little bit of leadership. Because it's not like you're saying, let's do this strat immediately you are giving them an opportunity to play however they want to uh to get some sort of star making entry frags or whatever it is that makes them feel good so try that there's a little tip for all wannabe igls out there courtesy of fallen uh via james irl via launders via the ecs stream um so fifth hand csgo tips you heard them here first folks Let's move on to Epicenter, part two. Let me firstly say, Epicenter, you did an amazing job of setting up props from various maps, the tires, the forklifts, the silos. It reminded me of like an 80s children's game show. I just wanted to run in there and find the magic token and win a Game Boy. Um, and also the customized 3D sequences with all the team's logos, the explosions going off. Uh, I thought that was awesome. It was, it was such a fun way to say, hey, we haven't just rented someone else's you know, basketball court. So props to you guys, pun intended. Now, semifinals. The first up matchup was Astralis versus SK. There are a lot of games to go through. And I'm only going to really get, you know, get meaty with the ones that I, that I believe deserve it. The Astralis versus SK matchup. As you know, uh, if you listen to my major podcast, uh, always makes me feel a bit iffy because in the major, Astralis just uh, had obviously overprepared specifically for SK. Now, having had a bit of time off, you would have hoped that Astralis had built up you know, more of their own game as opposed to just anti-stretting. Uh, unfortunately, 
not necessarily the case here. Matt Roman's train, SK1 at 1611. Fallen basically did his usual thing of, of being a human turret on A site with the orb. And actually, Bolt has turned out to be quite good at holding B site. Now, uh, I don't remember him doing this in the major. He probably did. But his combination of, uh, of holding it quite, quite close up with, I think it's Fur or Taco rotating in via connector if he needs it, just kind of works a treat. And I feel like it's probably going to be the train CT side to beat. Uh, also, Australis wasn't hitting enough of their shots. So who knows what's going on there. Map 2, Mirage, Australis went up 11-4 in the first half, basically doing their anti-stratting of Fallen trick. Um, but then SK, SK back, came back and Australis began to fray. And I felt like there was quite a few moments where they were caught out in places where if they'd been communicating, they wouldn't have rushed. So SK came back to win this 1917, despite a massive game from Zipniks. And you've got to wonder, like, why are these why are these guys not communicating so well? Is are they are they tilted? Uh, is it purely emotions? Is it purely frustrations? I feel like a, a, a team like Astralis, I kind of expect more from them. Um, my expectations are maybe too high, but something's going on in that team, and uh, I feel an itch there. I feel an itch. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. I hope they're not going to break up. I. Uh, I'm enjoying the fact that we got some teams that have that have got some sturdy lineups right now. I feel like they make the better narratives. They make for the more exciting Counter Strike. So let's just hope that these guys don't don't start to fray in terms of the lineup. Now, next up we had VP versus G2. Map one was Mirage. VP one. Pasha played out of his brain. That's basically my entire notes for this first map. I don't know where this came from. Vis-a-vis Pasha. Uh, could be the big stage. I don't know. They seem to just fire up and get in the zone a lot more with all the people around them. Neo in particular, I feel like, just goes into a sort of a trance. I feel like if I could harness Neo's focus, I could dominate life. Uh, not that I'm not dominating life, but uh, you know what I mean. Now, map two was new. VP went down 6-0 uh, on the T side. And then there was some beautiful teamwork from Snacks and Taz baiting out NBK's orb. On ramp, and I would check this round out if you can, if you if you feel like digging, uh, you know, back into the vods. It's the seventh round, and it's really similar to a move that I highlighted last week or last episode, I should say, uh, by Fur and Fallen. If you've got someone on on matchmaking who you can talk to, who you know at least you can communicate with, uh, try this ma- try this move. Get into radio with them, and uh, obviously someone's going to be watching you probably from ramp. And uh, one of you, preferably you because you want to get the kill, whip out your orb, scope in, and then get your teammate to jump over the top of you. And at the same moment he jumps, you crouch, uh, what's it called? Crouch, crab walk, crab walk into frame and pick off the chump at ramp and get yourself the kill. And you can thank Snacks and Taz for that move. Now, finally, 15, 12, GT, G2, they're up. There's a massive uh, 2v4 retake with some amazing takedowns from Bialy and Taz. And I felt like Virtus Pro is suddenly hitting all these shots that they need to hit. Like, where does this come from? Taz is smashing Twix bars and uh, Coca-Cola. Um, you know what? I just kind of wish that he was taking care of himself like the elite athlete he is. 
the thought goes through my mind that this guy's about to have a sugar sugar come down, basically sort of in map three or thereabouts. I, f- I find it a bit strange, and I think I've talked about this before, that these guys are smashing sort of monster energy drinks on map one. Like, do you not understand how your body works? Actually, I was very pleased to see Taco not pulling out the monster until I think it was map four of the five map run, or maybe even map five versus VP. Now, there's a man who knows how to uh, regulate his sugar intake, unlike Taz. Now, map three... Oh, no, sorry. So that map, map two, was taken by G2. They managed to take it 16-14 after the Pasha gave up his orb from a Kenny SCZ rush. And then uh, map three, Inferno, first half went up 10-5 to VP, who were just basically using all their utility to hold back Kenny S. Now, VP, these guys are the utility masters. Hadn't kind of clicked with me before, but uh, we'll come to it a bit on Cobblestone. But name me a team who uses utility better than Virtus Pro, or or better than Virtus Pro did in this series. Anyway, Virtus Pro went on to win, which obviously, you know, added some extra years onto my life. I do actually have some some quite detailed notes about this map. I hope this is not boring. It was 13-10 VP's way. It was round 24. VP had to eco. So they bought a couple of P250s and smokes. Oh, yeah, this was quite interesting. So a couple of P250s and smokes. Everyone executes smokes onto the A site. Snacks snuck through the smoke on balcony, waited in the smoke, and the others pushed top mid, four of them. And uh, Snacks got the kill on body, who was in pit, and obviously didn't see him in the smoke, and simply waited while his teammates came back to pincer off the two players remaining on the A site, and he waited forever, just hiding behind that little um, wall there, rather than peeking the players on the site. It was quite, uh, yeah, it's quite a good lesson. Check out his POV for a great lesson on sort of, sort of how to muscle your way onto A site. Because sometimes I find like when when you're in a in a matchmaking game and you don't really have any team play, just smoke yourself out in balcony and uh, see if you can get someone else to smoke pit, sneak in behind it and then get everyone else to go up mid. All you need to do is be able to communicate with one other person. VP won this out 16-11 with a classic B-site hit, and it's the same one they used to beat FaZe in the group stages, with Snacks lurking mid and the other four hitting B, and Snacks basically cutting off the rotations via Arch. Um, So if you've got a team as well, here's another little tip. If you've got a team, you're trying to work up some strats, just check this one. It's a very, very simple, very basic T-sided strat for Inferno. Uh, the only thing that VP did wrong was not check flower pots. That's all right. You'll do that because you're better than VP, surely. So G2 versus Astralis was the next matchup and this was this was the rematch from the group stages where Astralis were dusted by the Frenchies and uh, it seemed that Astralis had sort of done a little more homework because they won the first map on Nuke, but they lost Mirage and Inferno after that, which, I don't know. I don't think it's a surprise at this point. I think Astralis are in a bit of a mess. And uh, G2, while not the tightest of teams, at least have the sort of chutzpah to take them at the moment. So this brings us to the grand finals that happen to have Virtus Pro in them. Words cannot express the excitement in my soul unfortunately it started at i think 1 a.m in australia so that's like went until like 8 a.m or something ridiculous i lasted until about four uh got up for work spent all day at work you know watched a few minutes here and there 
studiously uh, tried to avoid any and all media so I wouldn't find out what happened and then watched the other 50 hours when I got home tonight. Uh, now, this is obviously, if you've seen it, you, you'll, you'll agree with me, one of the most exciting grand finals uh, I've seen this year for sure. And I'm going to take you through maps one to five. If you didn't see it, hopefully you'll get an idea of what happened. And if you did, relive the glory. So, first map was Mirage. VP won at 16-10. Neo went absolute ham with 29 kills. And Snacks finally showed up. Obviously, there's some confidence in his teammates restored once more. And I feel like Taz calling the strats, it just seems to work. Come on. I mean, he's obviously the leader. It's 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 like an old sock, surely, for this team. And I think uh, another tip, you know, if you're trying to get a team going, and, and a couple of you have actually written to me and said we're getting team teams going, so... One, one, one great lesson that can be taken from this map, I think if you watch the last three rounds, they're, ab- they're an absolute masterclass in three different executes back-to-back on the A site. And there's a, there's a great cohesion and there's some great team play. But there's three very different tactics. And the first one, uh, Virtus Pro were attacking at mid, the connected player, right? Just peeking him. And that, I think it was Fur. So Fur then backed onto A site to throw some sort of smoke into connector. Whereupon Bialy, at the exact right timing, peeked out of Palace and shot him in the back. Very, very simple way to ensure that you've gotten the first pick on A-site. And that's how the A-site split begins. Now, the second one was uh, very simply Bialy meeting Fur's characteristic push into Palace by, by rushing Palace as fast as he possibly could. And VP happened to know that uh, Fallen tries to get tries to get picks after Fur goes down. SK have a thing where it's like, once you've killed one of ours, we're going to get hyper-aggressive. So they just waited for him. Pasha sat in a ramp and waited for him, tagged him up, and then they, the smokes rained into A-side. Uh, and that was basically just a straight-on A-execute once they had that first pick. And then <laughs> the third strat was an A-rush, which... It seems ridiculous, right? And it's not that uncommon to just go, all right, it's the last round. We'll just hit a site really quickly and try and finish this up really quickly. But I think um, the fact that they did it on the exact same site, they just hit twice in two different other ways, was the perfect way to finish it. I think one of the interesting stats on this map was that Snacks had eight kills on Fur. And I think this is a large reason for the for, for why VP were able to put, put up such a good fight against SK. Fur is obviously a huge part of why SK is a very scary team to face, but Snacks was obviously finding him in all these little sneaky little lurky pushy positions. So it's lovely to see Snacks back on the uh, on the wagon. On the wagon? On the trail? On the track? Oh my god. Uh, Alright, map two, Inferno. I actually don't have much about this, but SK won this 16-6. They just seemed to be able to convert their pistol rounds. And I felt like both teams were actually anti-stratting each other fairly well. But SK was getting the frags in their pushes. Um, interestingly enough, Fur didn't have a kill <laughs> until round 14. He proceeded to come back fairly well, which suggests to me that there's a limit to how much you can anti-strat a team, right? I feel like you can go, yeah, we kind of know what a team's going to do up until round about their sixth T side. Any more than that, you can't really keep it in your head. And the variables become so enormous 
that at that point you sort of got to go, all right, I'm just going to play my game. And I notice that often with these teams that have been able to watch each other's VODs the night before or what have you, that they can really crush each other's T-sides fairly well at the beginning. But once the first sort of set plays are used up, then the T-rounds start to get more more effective. And I think this really happened in uh, Inferno, unfortunately, for the old Virtus Pro. Now, map three was Train. This went overtime. Fallen was the human turret again. He, uh, they eventually won in this massive clutch. VP basically rushed B five rounds in a row. Uh, God. I, I mean, I, I feel like um, maybe I got too emotional in this game and wasn't actually able to type. It's hardly possible. There's probably also 3, 3.30 in the morning at this point. Uh, now, map four was Cash. This was a very exciting game. BP were up 5-1. They had to eco. So this is the seventh round. And I would watch this for an amazing eco setup. Very simple. I never really recommend detailed strats for you because personally, I can't use them. So, you know, I can't really recommend them. But this is a very simple, very effective eco setup. And in this round, VP put three players mid. Sorry, they're on CT. Three players mid and then one player each site. And they don't actually end up winning this round, but they could have, and they, they, they were very close to it. But I, I still think this is a perfect study for your team if you don't have any ideas, basically, other than rushing, like, one side. And uh, if you're in a matchmaking queue, you're solo queuing, just go, hey, one, one A, one B, and two of you come with me. Take them, take them both mid and uh, smoke off mid. Try and get a very fast boost up if you can over the boost, counter boost, and then push someone through smoke on mid. And uh, these guys did this very well. VP did this very well. Bialy got triple a uh, triple kill. And uh, it was during this moment it occurred to me the phrase Bialy and triple kills. Name a more iconic duo. Seriously. That guy, like, it never gets any kills unless they're triple kills. And actually, I would have a look at the 14th round of this map for an amazing mid-round call from Fallen, which also included a late boost. I think I think sometimes that guy's just got some great mid-round stuff going on. Um, but eventually VP's defense was too good for these SK boys. And we went to a map 5. Map 5 was cobblestone and my heart was basically about to burst at this point. Couldn't take the emotion. Couldn't take it. Um, VP got wiped in Cobble at the Majors, so I was very, very afraid for them. Now they were up 6-3. Pasha Bialy were holding B-Long like absolute bosses. Pushing up, punishing SK, flashing for each other, helping each other, smoking each other. Uh, I felt like it was just about they were feeling good about each other again, you know? Um, do I project onto this uh, game? Yes, all the time. Sue me. Um, and I feel like uh, the fact that they've been able to win sort of has made them nicer to each other. They seemed <laughs> nicer to each other. Funny that. Uh, Neo went absolute monster. He was up 16-5 on the fourth, 14th round. 16 kills, 5 deaths on the 14th round. And then Snacks went A long with the Swag 7. Swag Daddy. And I've, as I've previously um, <clears throat> lamented on this podcast, everyone and their mother knows that Snacks goes A long with the Swag. And uh, as it turned out, everyone and their mother includes Bolts, who just came around the corner twice and headshot snacks (laughs) who was waiting for him with the swag 
Um, and one of these was in overtime. Guys, come on. Come on. Do you not listen to my podcast, VP? And if so, why not? Half uh, half time went 8-7 to VP, so it was all good. But then I would watch the next pistol round, and you've probably seen it clicked on Reddit because it was one of the most amazing pistol rounds of all time. Neo started off with a jumping midair burst fire kill out of drop window, which was absolutely jaw-dropping. And then he went on to have like two more frags, I think, that were kind of amazing. Uh, check it out if you haven't. Then basically VB hit B with a smoke execute three times, but on the third time they threw their smokes in the same way and rushed A, winning the eco by drawing SK's attention. So simple, but so good. Fallen wasn't really exactly on point with his orb. He wasn't really up to the level we've seen him before. Maybe he was tired. I have to admit, I was tired. It was like six hours of CS by the end of it. Um, SK then brought it to overtime. VP pulled off one of the most amazing A splits I've ever seen with Snacks flashing drop, running past Bolts, running right past Bolts, who was in there, just so he could get the jump on Fallen, who was open connect doors, so his mates could push A. Bananas. I don't know, how much IQ do we think Snacks has at this point? One, one million? 1. 1.5? Uh, this just adds to his sort of bananas plays. His sort of clear, you know, goodness me. You know, some of these moments I actually edit out and some of them I just think, I think you should hear the fact that I'm human, you know, and I'm two glasses of wine in. And I was up late, very late last night. And I'm talking about a 10-year-old video game. Anyway, it's also very hot. Where was I? Okay, SK finally won this 22-18. The CT side was too strong for VP. In the words of Cold Zero in an HL TV interview, post-game, we knew how to counter every strat they do. And he called VP actually not very skilled, but very smart. And as Fallen has previously said, revealed himself, ta-da, to be the, someone who does a lot of strat calling in SK. Basically, the lieutenant or lieutenant, lieutenant, lieutenant uh, of Virtus Pro. Now, apparently, Epicenter was broadcast in eight languages. English, Russian, Brazilian, Polish, German, French, Vietnamese, and Arabic. Curious as to why there wasn't a Chinese stream, but... I guess the Chinese viewers probably aren't there yet. Uh, as you can tell, I'm kind of trying to distract from the fact that this was a devastating blow to me, that VP didn't win this tournament. I got so excited that they made the semis. They beat G2, uh, beat Gambit, beat FaZe, and got so, 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 so close to winning this. Uh, now, Bolts played very well. According to the SK players, his passive style sort of helps them all feel okay about being aggressive. It's similar to FNX. Uh, um, according to them but uh, you know I kind of feel like that's sort of to be expected you know Bolts was in a team that got to the major with a lot of luck to be fair and then shortly after imploded he was left with Steel who wins a lot of points for being a nice guy but not necessarily the most assertive chap in the wheelhouse and uh, just as that team was sort of blowing up spectacularly like a fireworks factory in Tiananmen, um, Tianjin, I should say, um, Bolts manages to get the call from the most powerful man in Brazilian CS, uh, Daddy Fallen. And uh, 
and of course he's going to do whatever Fallen wants and play a little bit passive and be a little bit nervous about it. But I would say, just you wait until the trophies go to Bolt's head and he starts going to Cold's CrossFit gym and he gets some new threads, maybe takes a red pill or two. Maybe Thorne takes him aside at one of these um, one of these uh, invitationals, teaches him how to be uh, or how to fight back against political correctness. Right. Next thing you know, Bolts is reposting Trump and simultaneously feeling like he's slaying dragons because he listens to Jordan B. Peterson lectures. And then we'll see who's content to hold bomb sites while Cold Zero and Fallen get all the glory. Hmm? Can you tell that I'm bitter? I did enjoy the match, and uh, props to SK. They're, they're just kind of unbeatable. That's the problem. They're just too good. There's nothing underdoggy about them. Like, yeah, okay, you got to stand in, but not really. Like, you kicked Phelps, let's be honest. I mean, Phelps said, I want to leave, but no one says, I want to leave the best team in the world unless that best team goes, in some way or another, we don't really want you here. Uh, I think that's suspect. When Fallen comes out and goes, yeah, it was Phelps' decision. I'm sorry? <laughs> Why would you want to leave the best team in the world unless they're making you feel seriously uncomfortable? <sighs> Can you tell I'm bitter? No, no, but SK did a great job. They really did. And uh, props to Fallen, of course. <sighs> now, one of the things that Reddit has actually provided me is a little bit of information about Biali. And uh, if you're like me and you were listening to the matches with, uh, that were being um, casted by Henry G and Sadikus, and, Sa- and you were a little bit, um, mm, well, you noticed that Sadikus was pronouncing Biali's name Biawi. Well, apparently you're not alone. And several of, several of us noticed. But according to a Redditor whose name is Jamia, that is actually the correct pronunciation because with Polish diacritics, I've never heard of that term, it would be written Biali with the little strike through the L and the L with the strike through it is pronounced like the English W. So it actually is Biawi. So if you just thought Sadikus was sort of having a partial stroke, uh, not the case. He's actually being culturally sensitive. So there you go. The Biawi episode will come at some point. Let's move on right now. I want to talk a little bit about Carrigan. Now, one of the reasons I want to talk about Carrigan, who is obviously one of my favorite topics on this podcast, is because I watched a video that Thorin has made for some other new content creator who's sponsoring him to plug their crap. Um, and it's called Leaders of CSGO Carrigan. And one of the interesting things about this content is that well, this video, it highlights something that I don't really think about for one, and that's the tactics behind map vetoes. And... Uh, Thorne was basically trying to say that Carrigan is sort of a master of map picks. And um, maybe that's the case, or maybe that was the case, but I thought his map picks in Epicenter were pretty lackluster. Uh, but more than that, this doco actually confirmed a sneaking suspicion I have about Carrigan. And uh, just a little disclaimer, you all know I love FaZe and I love the Carrigan. And this is not to take away by any means how good he is as a leader, as a player. But I do sometimes get a sense that Carrigan cares less about his teammates and more about the crowd. And it's an impression that I get from Twitch clips from Pugs, where people have just happened to be playing with him on like ESEA or whatever. Um, and clips uh, where he's sort of playing the entertainer 
and um, and is doing what he does on the stage, which is hyping up the crowd and playing to them, sometimes even before he congratulates his teammates for a great move and before he kind of even celebrates with them. And uh, actually, I just watched the first episode of uh, To The Stars. No, no, it was maybe the last episode of To The Stars, which is the Australis documentary. If you haven't watched it, check it out. It's actually fantastically well produced. It's probably the best documentary about CS I've seen, and it's quite effective at creating uh, a bunch of sympathy, or empathy at least, for the Australis players, mainly because Dupree is basically made to be on on screen. But anyway, back to uh, Carrigan. In this documentary, he literally says that when he plays CSGO, it's so that he can play in front of a big big crowd. Like that is his reason for playing CSGO, is to play in front of a big crowd, which strikes me as strange. Anyway, in Reflections, he also talks about not being able to deal with Fur's aggressive pushes on overpass. And uh, <laughs> we saw that he still does not have an adequate system to deal with that, despite that video was being recorded in March. That's eight months of Carrigan having the you know time to work out a strategy <laughs> to counter uh, to counter fur pushing on overpass uh, the um, on the CT side. It's been eight months. How has Carrigan not worked out a strategy to at least defend against that? Fur is not a genius. Uh, his strategy basically works like this. He'll push A in a different way every round he can. And at the very least, uh, I think Carrigan can look at Astralis and what they did to SK the Majors on Overpass. Like, at the very least, get off your high horse, look at your old team, because they anti-stratted those guys in a way that FaZe hasn't even approached doing. Now, I think herein might lie the answer to what FaZe are going to need to do, perhaps. And it might be similar to what we've seen SK is doing. Well, I'll explain myself. Carrigan keeps the morale of the team up, right? Lays the general strats down, sets the vibe, sets the agenda. But then, what if he had a lieutenant who weighed in, right? Because this is, I feel like this is the this is the potential Achilles heel of FaZe. Who is that going to be? And when I say lieutenant, I'm referring to, obviously, that same role that Cold Zero plays on SK, where... You know, Fallen might have the larger game plan in mind or be distracted by his own orping. So at some point, Cold Zero steps up and goes, hey, you know what? What about we try this strat because they did this, 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 and this. So yeah, so I think if, if you, the problem is if you look at FaZe, like who who is going to play that role? It can't be Guardian because he's the orper. Um, can't be Rain because he, he doesn't talk. I think because his vocal cords are probably ripped out in a freak bar fight where he left like 47 men dead in the fjords uh it can't be olaf because he's a lone wolf i think which leaves nico who doesn't seem to be there yet you know like despite his skill and accolades he still seems to sort of yo-yo in confidence um on and off the map so i feel like the solution may be carrigan telling nico to step step up or, or giving him a lot more responsibility going hey look We've got, you know, let's say two or three weeks between now and the ECS games that we're going to play. You go away, get a little black book, come up with some plays and we'll practice them and maybe even tailor some of them to each team. Put in some homework, you know, give the kids some homework because I feel like while Nico's been heralded as a star, who's been his, like, where's his tutelage come from? 
You know, who's been that person who shepherded him into greatness the same way that Fallen's done it with Cold Zero? Who's, uh, who's been the Jafar who's picked him off the street? No, that's an that's a, that's a, that's a unworkable analogy. Um, so let's move on. That's my, that's, that's my thoughts about FaZe. I probably have a new theory about what can happen with FaZe every week. <sighs> because for some reason I like talking about them. I promise one day I will talk about some of the lesser teams. But maybe I won't. Anyway, so let's move on. The CIS minor is over. The Asia minor is over. The European minor is in four days. We're going to see the likes of Optics, Space Soldiers, Envious fighting for the two spots in the major. Who made the CIS minor? That's a good question. If I did my homework and research for this podcast, I could tell you right off the bat. I'm pretty sure the Asia minor is Tai Lu and Renegades. Um, the next um, other competition we've got coming up is the Star Ladder I-League Invitational Shanghai 2017 if you're uh, if you're all jacked up on VP now if you've you've put in the order for your biceps is life shirt or whatever it is that's going to be the next chance to see them it's in about four days and now speaking of VP here's what I wanted to chat about so you know how I've been gunning for a Biawi episode now for a long time I think uh, I've come down to earth in the last few weeks and I'm going to need to take baby steps you know I think it's going to be a little while before I'm visible enough to get invited into Bialy's living room for a sit down with Mr. and Mrs. Biawi on why their son is such a savage 3 k so let's take some baby steps and I think what might be achievable hear me out what might be achievable as a very first baby step is to potentially try and get sponge on this potty because we're both Aussies, right? I have no connection to any of the other players, none of the other managers, none of the other analysts, none of the other casters, except Sponge is an Aussie like me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send Sponge a message on Twitter and uh, see if I can somehow contact him via the emails through some serious stalking. But... uh, if you would like to get Sponge on this podcast, and you know I'm going to grill the shit out of him in a way that no one else does, and uh, in case you're listening to this Sponge to see whether or not I'm actually sane, uh, when I say grill, I mean question lightly and in a very positive manner. Um, so if you'd like to get him on this podcast, send him a message on Twitter. Put a little pressure on him. Uh, hashtag let's get Sponge. Make that a thing. Um, and if you know anyone who knows him, get in there. Don't actually, you know, turn up at his house. Don't steal his trash or anything. Um, don't harass his 95-year-old grandma. But let's see if we can uh, get this podcast on the map. And um, as you know, he's one of my favorite casters. I find him endlessly entertaining. And um, I feel like he'll be a coup for us, but possibly a great way in for me. In terms and this podcast, in terms of legitimizing what are currently my ramblings from the bedroom. Finally, uh, send in your gambling stories if you've got any. If you didn't hear the last podcast, I'm doing a gambling episode. I want to hear all about how many, how you've sort of bet all your parents' credit cards dry, trying to get your dragon law or whatever it is. It was actually quite interesting to see the ES Force. So there was a little bit of hubbub about the fact that ES Force are the majority stakeholders in SK, but also own Virtus Pro and also organized Epicenter. Um, one of the other things I found out about ES Force is that they have the majority stake in CSGO Lounge as well, I think 90%. Uh, 
So we are <coughs> participating in the the party of Monopoly right now, basically, CSGO. But for some reason, it's a joy. It's an endless source of joy. You know, for some reason, I also feel loath to end this podcast today. I just want to keep talking to you guys. It's been one of those days. It's 10.40pm on a Monday night. I finished my Saf Blanc. I've got to fly to Melbourne at 9am tomorrow morning. And if you're a Sydney sider, you know that that's not uh, a welcome thought. But such is life. Until next time, enjoy the game. Enjoy the game.